data security is something that is only going to become more intense um, and more focused uh, in the United States over the next 10 years. And so for business owners to really start to have an understanding of their data is really important. The onus is on you as the business owner to know. So do have people that are, I would call partners that you can trust, that you can go to, to even ask questions and that you could stay up to date from their emails and from their newsletter about what's going on. How many of your passwords are the same? How many people have you shared those passwords with? How secure is the data you hold? And what do you do if your company has a cybersecurity breach? I'm Susan Bowles, and you're listening to Break the Ceiling, the show where we break down unconventional strategies you can use to save time, boost your profit, and increase your operational capacity. This month, I'm talking about privacy and security. And those are actually two different aspects of overall cybersecurity. I really love the definition of these two from the Fathom Analytics blog about the difference between digital privacy and online security. And I'll link to it in the show notes. But it says, Digital privacy protects our personal information and data so that it's not unnecessarily exposed. So protecting information before it's known. And online security protects and secures our personal information and data when it needs to be exposed. Or making sure that when the personal info needs to be known, it's done as safely as possible. Last week, I talked to Paul Jarvis, the author of that blog post and co-founder of Fathom, which is a privacy-focused analytics company. And we talked a lot about digital privacy and how to only collect information that does really need to be known. This week, I want to talk about the other side of the coin, security. And my guest today is an outsourced chief information security officer and CEO of PurePoint International. Jessica Robinson is an expert in data security, cyber risk and privacy and PurePoint International provides cybersecurity consulting and training for financial services, insurance and other middle market global companies with 100 million to 500 million in revenue. Jessica and I talk about where the cybersecurity risks might live in your business. We talk about how to assess the risk of a data breach in your own business and what steps to take to shore up the security of your business and keep both you and your clients information safe. Hey, Jessica, thanks for being here. Hi, Susan. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited for this conversation. So can you give me kind of a quick overview of the kind of work that you do? It's a little unusual for uh, guests on the podcast. So I, I want to get you to give people kind of an overview in your own words. Yeah, so um, I am a cybersecurity leader with a different approach. And I'm CEO of PurePoint International, and we're a cybersecurity company that works with CEOs and C-level leaders to help them protect the money that they make and help them better protect the data that they're entrusted to carry, um, care for and, uh, and support with, with their clients. And so uh, the work we do uh, is anywhere from supporting organizations in building and maturing cybersecurity programs to helping them with training, meaning uh, employee awareness training and incident response. So when there's an actual uh, breach within the business coming in and supporting them with that particular incident. So we're not right for everyone with the work that we do and how we work, but the clients we work with see significant results in a short period of time. Um, and we've worked with companies from pre-startup, uh, pre-revenue, all the way up to 350 million in total revenue. 
So, oh, big range. <laughs> yes, it is a big range. A lot of it just depends on what it is we're doing with them. Not everything is going to be for everyone. Um, and all of it also depends on the uh, the industry as well. Some have uh, more employees than others, depending on the, the type of business they have and also the um, um, and also how their what their revenue uh, stream is in terms of how they uh, how they're bringing in revenue for the business. And so I know with a lot of kind of Internet uh, style businesses, there are some security requirements, PCI compliance, that kind of thing. Is that uh, in your wheelhouse or not so much? Um, it is something that I have focused on in the past. It was something that was a big deal back in uh, particularly 2014 to 2016 when there was uh, uh, compliance updates that was taking place around this. So it was a big deal for uh, when uh, when we started to have the chip and put into our cards and it was something that was being more ubiquitous and within uh, the United States anyways. And so, uh, however, in recent years, we haven't done much work in that area. It hasn't been something that we've been asked to do or uh, work that our clients have specifically needed. Nonetheless, it is extremely important um, and there are a number of uh, organizations <laughs> and security companies that do do that type of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I worked with a few that were like going through that PCI process of like moving over into being compliant and it was just a yes mm -hmm. it's really unpleasant <laughs> yes yes I think anytime you're going through a process where you have to work towards compliance it is extremely unpleasant and uh, it, it's really frustrating what I tell my clients when we're working towards that and I've worked I've helped clients insurance companies and financial services companies think about compliance to ISO which is uh, the international standards organization they have a cybersecurity uh, compliance area or information security and so I work with companies and helping them to achieve compliance there um, and I've also worked with uh, an organization helping them to achieve compliance with the New York cybersecurity regulation in line with the, the the Department of Financial Services. And it's it's always a challenge. And uh, my clients, I just kind of remind them that it's gonna be a tough road. There are gonna be times where it's they're gonna be tough conversations. People are gonna continue to ask questions around why we have to do something, whether it's someone that's on the technical teams or maybe someone who's part of the larger uh, business team. But once we get through to the other side and it's complete, it will feel so good. <laughs> the journey will have been worth it. <laughs> so I think for many, maybe even most small business owners, you know, we have a long list of things to do. And if I had to guess, just based off of my own experience and the experience of my clients, that, you know, worrying about data security, data privacy, it's not very high on that list of things to do. But why should it be? Why should cybersecurity or privacy issues be a priority for business owners? Yeah, you know, so that mindset, that thinking of, oh, it's not that top of mind. It shouldn't. It's not top of uh, top of mind in the way uh, maybe other things in, and I are for businesses, and I totally get that because I, as a business owner, I I can definitely understand that, particularly in the year that we've had in 2020, really focusing on, uh, you know, uh, sales and marketing is, you know, really kind of probably probably the top priority for a lot of companies. But at the end of the day, we're we are in this new decade. It is, you know, we are officially in 2021. And it doesn't matter if you are a solopreneur or if you're an executive in a large business, not thinking about security and privacy in your business is something that uh, is something that will 
impede you from having a successful long-term business. Um, if you aren't clear in your business about what data that you're taking in from your clients and which data is more sensitive than others, um, and even from a regulatory standpoint, if you're required to protect that information from a privacy or security perspective, then you're already behind the ball. And the past five years, we've seen so much uh, regulation in the United States alone, let alone the, the around the world, that odds are business owners uh, need to comply to some regulation that they just don't know what it is. Um, and not only that, um, because there has been so many breaches and because there are so many different ways that uh, an organization can be vulnerable and can be in impacted and their data can be impacted, uh, right now, particularly if you are a B2B business, if you want to work, if you're a small business that wants to work with a larger business, you're going to be required to make it through their business, their uh, vendorous process. And at this point, uh, we've worked with companies that have six employees. Uh, we've worked with companies with one employee. And in order for them to be able to get through the vendor risk process, they have to be able to show that they're doing something related to security, that if that organization gives them their information that they can say that they're going to be secure and that they're protecting that data according to uh, whatever standard that they've set. And so it's just uh, the world is continuing to change very fast. Technology is continuing to change very fast. And uh, people that don't stay up with the change will be left behind. And it'll be uh, something that may not seem like it'll happen right away. Uh, but for sure, over time, it'll, you know, whether it's a couple years or five years or seven years, uh, if a company is not doing this, then um, and, and really focusing on how security is relating to their own business objectives, uh, it's not going to be it's hard for me to see how that business is going to be able to make it in the long term. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think you know, security, privacy, being more cognizant of the regulations and the requirements. I think there's a lot of overlap to how business owners approach that and how they approach their finances. And oftentimes it's, you know, easier to prioritize other things that um, seem more interesting or more important, like sales and marketing and that stuff's, you know, sexy and fun. And uh, but I, I think data and security are critical and you don't realize how critical until something goes wrong and then it does become an emergency you know it's not urgent until it's an emergency that's yeah i mean that's it and you know and it's easy to kind of shy away from it because it's one of those things where people really feel uncomfortable with it you know talking mm -hmm. about security or talking about something technical it's kind of like oh, i don't really want to go there for a lot of people it's i'm sure you could probably relate to this with finances right it's one of those things where you know you need to focus on it but i don't know if i always want to dive deep into it uh the way that i should and so it's one of those things where it absolutely has to happen. And uh, what we've seen in larger companies is our CEOs being held accountable, as well as boards being held, held accountable for not focusing on security enough. And whether it's the FTC, SEC coming in and leveraging fines against these organizations, uh, whatever that happens to be, uh, what we've seen even in the state of New York is uh, a law that was passed called the SHIELD Act. And this and this was went into effect in March of last year, so March of 2020. And many people don't realize that even if you have one employee 
then uh, you, and you collect personal information on that individual, you are required to have uh, to have a data security program that is appropriate to the organization and the type of data that you collect. And so this is important because if you have any type of breach, then if, if you could be investigated in regards to why you have not been compliant with this act. And so it, it's uh, there, this is changing so quickly for organizations that many don't even realize how fast uh, how fast this is occurring. Interesting. I didn't know about that. It's um, so one of the pieces of software that I recommend for a lot of people's backend is a software called Gusto, um, and I normally pitch it that you know it's easy and employees can self onboard them you know you email them they onboard themselves and fill in all of their information it's masked you don't see their bank account information you don't see their social security information you know they they fill out the information it's compliant um but you as the employer don't see it um and I never really thought about that there were other regulations that require you to keep that information secure. What's your kind of what's your take on the uh, to, to me, that's just, you know, I'm offloading my responsibility onto a company that has much bigger resources than I do to protect <laughs> people's people's information as as long as I don't see it and I don't have um, paper. You know, I'm not writing anything out on paper. Uh, it's a more secure system. But talk to me a little bit about, you know, how you feel about the kind of cloud based move you know a lot a lot of old school folks are still you know keeping their own servers and um keeping paper copies because they feel it's more secure and they can't be hacked um but talk to me a little bit about your perspective there yeah i think that a lot of it depends on the company it depends on the type of data they're collecting and it depends on how the business operates i think that both work if you have uh, servers on premise or if you're using cloud cloud without a doubt i think definitely has some great advantages of ensuring that there's redundancy of data um, you can have a server go down and um, even if it's down for a couple of hours not have access to that and it, it even uh, if, even if there's a, a backup server uh, in the same storage room the challenge is is if something happened to the electricity in that building or if something happened to that particular room, then it could just be difficult to access data. However, when something's in the cloud, redundancy is a lot easier, meaning your backups are most likely gonna be more available to you much quicker um, than, um, than otherwise. And so there are so many different reasons though, uh, why an organization want, would wanna go through their own assessment to really define, find out which is best for them. But I think that in, let's say, this particular case with this particular application that you mentioned, for a, a small business to say, okay, we're going to collect our employee information, but we're going to use this particular app, which means, which they may be thinking, okay, I'm not looking at this information that's going to be stored in this third-party application. So that means that third party is going to take on the risk of holding all of this employee information. And in one, in one instance, or one viewpoint of that is, yes, that is true. So there's there's no doubt that that company, uh, Vesto, is going to have to ensure that they're doing everything they can to ensure that they're abiding by all regulations and uh, all compliance areas that they're going to have to in order to do that. But uh, that does not necessarily release the expectation that is also on that business owner. That business owner also has to ensure that that company is doing everything that, they, that they're saying they're going to do. Um, and one area that could pose a challenge and where we see a lot of times with businesses is 
if their password to that application isn't strong enough or they haven't enabled multi-factor authentication, something like that that could allow an attacker to log in using mm. that small business owner's credentials and still somehow, um, you know, even if it's not, you know, a lot, a lot of information in regards to that employee because it's... Uh, uh, because it's not available to that particular person, but just getting any information or just having that breach take place at all uh, could be a major concern. And so, uh, what uh, the only way if you're if anyone is looking or thinking about how to transfer cyber risk is to have cybersecurity insurance. Uh, but even then, uh, you can transfer the risk. But what insurance companies are making very clear is that you still, in many cases, own that risk. You have to take it on. You can't uh, you can't uh, take on data and not protect that data and then just get an insurance policy for it. Um, that's not going to work either. And so there, there are certain expectations that companies have to have nowadays just to even get cybersecurity insurance. So there's, uh, so at the end of the day, a lot of the responsibility will still always continue to rest with that business owner. Interesting. So we still, we still have a responsibility to research the companies that we do business with if we're expecting them to um, be taking on a big bulk of the protection of the data that we're working with, um, and and still really be thinking about potential breaches and opportunities and, and where the weakest link is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, as a small business owner, particularly if you're a solopreneur, five, 10 person business, odds are if you're working with Amazon or Microsoft directly, you're not going to ask them to comp complete a vendor risk uh, questionnaire. But if you happen to be big enough where maybe you have you know, 20 or 30 people, and you do happen to be using a third party that you've hired, um, but you're just using cloud services that they offer, having that third party complete some sort of vendor questionnaire that states what their security processes are and that they are doing everything that they can to protect your business is something that would be recommended. Uh, because at the end of the day, as I mentioned before, is that this is part of the challenge now with small businesses, that if they want to work with larger businesses, that the expectation is also on them to complete a vendor risk questionnaire. And so um, I think part of this mindset that small business owners have to adapt is that at some point, um, yes, they can they can complete all of these questionnaires for their ideal client, hoping that they get through the vendorous process and can secure that relationship. But they also have to start getting to a point where they're looking at their own risk and starting to ask their own vendors uh, questions and start providing a, cyber, or, uh, a vendor risk cybersecurity questionnaire to them. Interesting. Hey there, it's Susan. If you've been listening to this interview and it's making you think about some of these issues and ideas, and you wish you could talk to some other real live business owners about it, I wanted to invite you to my free monthly roundtable, Dollars and Decisions. Once a month, I get together live with a group of amazing business owners just like you to geek out on money and operations and workflow and software, all that stuff that you hear me talk about here. The roundtable is kind of like a live interactive version of the podcast. So I would love to have you join me. To sign up for the next roundtable, head to scalespark.co slash dollars and decisions, no spaces, no hyphens, or you can just click the link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. What are kind of the few top areas that, you know, quick wins, something that small business owners should be thinking about or paying attention to in their business when it comes to privacy or security? You know, where where do you see the biggest opportunity for most folks? 
Yes. Um, well, first, I'll just say, since we've been talking about it, vendor risk, so and I think we've covered a lot in that area so far, but uh, that should definitely be top of mind. And that is something actually that uh, the solar winds attack that took place in December, um, that was indeed a through the supply chain, meaning uh, this particular product from solar winds called the Orion app is something that 450, I believe, of the Forbes 500 companies use, as well as multiple government agencies, including the Department of Energy, the Department of Defense, Department of Homeland Security, and several others. And the fact that this one app was uh, a breach, an attack, that allowed escalation uh, for the attacker in this particular app to then possibly make their way to any of these other organizations and that to be able to then escalate their own privileges within each one of these organizations if they would have chosen to do, to do that. It seems like maybe the government was maybe the main uh, focus here. So uh, yeah, definitely we know for sure that got the government uh, company the government organizations were impacted and some security companies were impacted but this is uh but this is a big deal and so vendor risk when you have a, a large it company that has something like that happen and that's from a nation state uh that you know one thing smaller companies should also be thinking about is how could this impact me and so if even if a small company downloaded uh, a trial version of that app, just to, just to check it out, that's something that they should be thinking about. And so there are vulnerabilities all around from uh, from places we don't always even think about. Uh, so vendor risk is going to be is one of those things that absolutely has to be a focus for small businesses. The other thing that I would say is data security. So in thinking about data security, at first, it's just having an understanding of what type of data that you have, like through the course of your business, what type of business or what type of data are you collecting? And is it considered personally identifiable information? Meaning, is it information where a person can be defined or identified by that information? And if it is, you definitely do want to ensure that that information is secure in the right way. Um, is it a little information or is it a lot of information? And if it's a lot of information, it's important to think about in the long term how that data is going is stored and how it's protected. Even something as small as how you're taking in email addresses is a really big deal. If uh, you're an organization that has any European residents as part of your email list. That's something for you to know. Now, that can be really hard to know. But uh, on the other hand, you should probably also know, though, if you're targeting any of anyone in Europe um, or if you're targeting companies in Europe. And it's involved, then it would also be important to know that European residents have privacy protection under the General Data Protection Regulation. It includes all of their data, including their email addresses. And so this is a, a big thing for has been a big thing from uh, from a marketing perspective. But these but data security is something that is only going to become more intense um, and more uh, focused uh, in the United States over the next 10 years. And so for business owners to really start to have an understanding of their data is really important. And then I would say from a third standpoint is really thinking about uh, what I would call authentication hygiene. So authentic authentication hygiene would be uh, thinking about your passwords. You know, what, how, uh, how, are your passwords, how long are they? Uh, are you using passwords, uh, uh, are we using them multiple times in different areas? Are you ensuring that any passwords that you're using for work are only used for work and only for you know one application? Your email password is one thing, 
and maybe if you have a software that you log into for like, let's just even say something like, you know, Vesto or ADP, that those have completely separate passwords. Also that they're alphanumeric, that they're at least eight or 12 characters in length. Uh, are you using a password manager? That's all really important. And then I would say the next thing about authentication hygiene is using two-factor or multi-factor authentication. So ensuring that uh, there that you are uh, have some sort of way to validate that you are the person that is logging in, that it could that it's not someone else who could just be entering your password. Um, so a lot of times what this can look like is you putting in some sort of uh, code, uh, a token or something like that, that gets sent to your phone, or maybe you have an RSA token, whatever that happens to look like, but something that only you can have that will uh, be a second authenticator in addition to your password. Oh, those are all, those are all really good. <laughs> I love those. Um, so I think, we're, you know, we're talking a lot about how, how this stuff changes and how we need to be aware of what's going on as business owners with, you know, new regulations or new breaches, um, any of that stuff. Is there uh, any recommendations that you have about how we kind of keep up to date on all of this? It's hard to kind of track the track the movement. Um, so is there are there some a few sources or how do you recommend people stay up to date here? Uh, yeah, I would say find a couple of trusted sources you know in the area of cybersecurity and, and get on their email list and follow them. So, for example, you can come to my website at www.the-purepoint.com and you can sign up for a newsletter. Um, and just continue to stay up to date with the information uh, that's being provided to you. There's no way that you're going to, you know, know everything about what's going on, but having a couple of different resources, uh, maybe if there's uh, another organization that you're aware of, or even if you watch uh, or if you have a subscription to the New York Times or to the Washington Post, you know, make a point that if you see articles in there that relate to cybersecurity or to privacy, that you take the time to read them because this what's happening is changing very quickly and gone really are the days where even a solopreneur says oh i didn't know that uh because it's uh it's just um it's just to run a business nowadays there are certain things you have to know it's kind of like when you decide to uh, state what type of business you're going to have. Is it going to be an S corp? Is it going to be a C corp? Is it going to be an LLC and LLP? It's kind of like gone are the days where, you know, you just, you're running a business without incorporating it the right way or not fully understanding all the uh, uh, liability that comes with that. And so it's the same thing with security. So the onus is on you as the business owner to know so do have uh, do have people in that are, I would call partners that you can trust, that you can go to to even ask questions um, and that you could read, stay up to date from their emails and from their newsletter about what's going on. Perfect. So is there anything you think we should talk about that we haven't touched on yet? Um, let's see. We've talked about the solar winds attack talked a bit about privacy and uh, talked about the general data protection regulation and the shield act um, you know I think that we're I think we're good I think this has actually been a good focus on a wide variety of areas that are critical for business owners to ensure that they're kept up to date with and that they're continuing to focus on throughout the time they're continuing to grow their business 
So I have I have one more that you may or may not have an opinion on, but I've been following the last year that is just super intriguing me, and that's TikTok. Yes. Um, and you know. Uh, Trump wanted to ban TikTok for data security issues. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm curious, I mean, they ended up banning him first, which was kind of delightful. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. talk to me a little bit about the the real privacy concerns here. You know, is it actually anything more than um, Facebook, Google, Amazon, you know, the big ones are tracking on us? Um, and is this something to be concerned about or not so much? Well, I think with TikTok being a company based out of China and China being, you know, it is a communist country. And so the companies there do bow down to the government. And so is there a concern that TikTok could hand information over about a U.S. citizen to the Chinese government? Yes. Uh, however, is there evidence that this is, has occurred? Uh, as of right now, from the assessments that I believe that have been that have occurred by the U.S. government, there hasn't been any evidence to really support that this is the case, um, and uh, and uh, and so I think it makes it somewhat challenging for uh, the government or for Trump to completely say that uh, that TikTok is banned. At the end of the day, you know, TikTok over the past year has been a way, like a lot of other social media platforms, for people for people to connect with each other. It's been, in some cases, a source for healing for people, a source of expression for people. And so, I don't uh, though if there if there was actual evidence that the government could support, and maybe there is, maybe they're just maybe it's classified and they're just not providing that information publicly. Uh, but I also think if that was the case, then it would have already been banned by now. So, but since they can't seem to provide evidence that that uh, TikTok is providing information to the Chinese government about U.S. citizens, then as of right now, I think it's just status quo. You just continue to use the app the way that it is. Uh, yes, continue to put any restrictions or, you know, in place to be able to ensure that there are checks and balances uh, the way that the way that's taking place now. But um, uh, but I if, and I think that that's fine. I think that even you're when you're not going to take my stupid dancing videos away from me. Right, right, saying. exactly. Not going to take it down. <laughs> you know, but this is, you know, but this is also, you know, the conversation with Highway and the, and the question around 5G and not wanting that company to come into the United States and start focus on implementing 5G and many other countries around Europe and other countries around the world have had the same conversations. And so the fact that they, that Highway could be, collecting so much information just from a communication standpoint, phone calls, information, uh, emails, anything that would be transferred through technology, through communication lines, that they can have extreme information, you know, extreme amount of information on U.S. citizens. And so I think that, you know, I think that there's there's always a lot to be said and a lot of fears to be said. The, you know, the fact that we are in 2021, uh, you know, I do think it's very real to say that the next war and, and that people would say it's our, we're already fighting it. It is a cyber war. You know, it's not going to necessarily mm. be a hot war or a cold war it'll be a cyber war and but there needs to be evidence to also to be able to back this up and fully and fully prove it and so and as of right now they're just i think i think the decision on highway has has been made though that that will not happen that there's no way a company like that will have that type of influence over the communications uh, of u.s citizens but uh, TikTok is just a, a different um uh, it's just it's very it's very different so mm -hmm. so uh Thank you. 
Mm-hmm. So tell me, where can our listeners find you if they want to connect or learn more about what you do? Yes. Um, so again, you can come to our website at www.the-purepoint.com, P-U-R-E-P-O-I-N-T. And then you can also just feel free to email me at jessica at purepoint-international.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. Yes, this was wonderful. Thank you. Jessica had some really helpful tips to help you think about securing access into your systems and data. As she mentioned, this is really the weakest link when it comes to security. But some other great ideas that are mentioned in the blog post that I shared at the beginning of the episode are just to limit what you share online and to think about how what you share could potentially be used against you. This is something that was drilled into me during my time in the military, but it's something that everyone should be thinking about. Now, we got it drilled into us so that we wouldn't post where we were deployed or troop numbers, that sort of thing. But this applies to you too. Things like posting where you live, what your pet's names are, kids' names, birthdays, all of that can be exploited against you. Think about those security questions you get asked when you're trying to reset your password. A lot of those can be found relatively easily online. So be aware of what you're sharing and what you're picking for your security question answers. Another great idea is to use a password manager, two-factor authentication, and unique passwords for each service. That way, if one account gets breached, it's limited to just that service. If you're using the same email and password for everything, they can get into all your other accounts. You can even go so far as to use different email addresses. So most email services now like Gmail, they allow you to create on-demand unique email addresses by adding the plus sign and then whatever you want to your email address. So you can actually easily create a unique email address for each service. I like to go with something like Susan plus the app name and they all go directly into my normal email account. But if one email gets breached, nothing else does. And as a bonus, if you get unauthorized emails to those email addresses that you didn't subscribe to, it's really easy to tell who sold your email address because the app name is right in there. But when it comes right down to it, the important part is to be informed. To understand what's happening from a security perspective in the online world, to be informed about how your data is being used and secured with everyone you work with, and to really think about where the weaknesses might be in your own system. Next week, we're heading back behind the scenes of my own experiment into privacy-focused marketing, and I'll be talking to Kim Harrington, a big part of my own marketing team who's helping me execute this experiment. So hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss it. Break the Ceiling is produced by Yellow House Media. Our executive producer is Sean McMullen. Our production coordinator is Lou Blazer. This episode was edited by Marty Seafeld with production assistance by Kristen Runbeck.